Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The Lord Jesus is the best friend who loves and stays closer than a brother, and he's described, he describes himself in Revelation 3.19, Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. See, in his love for us, the Lord Jesus rebukes and chastens versus Hira, who assists Judah in his sin. A good friend of David was Nathan. Nathan was a good friend to David. When he went to David in 2 Samuel 12, 7, after sin with Bathsheba, and he said, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. All right? So that was good. Okay. Now, that was a real friend to David when Nathan didn't care that David was the king. It might destroy his relationship with David. He just said, you are the man. You are the man who sinned by killing an innocent man so you could take his wife. We need to understand just how serious this was. We're not just looking here at, well, you know, Judah's got a big problem here, poor Judah. No, Judah, it's very serious, and it has an impact on us. Judah has really three issues here that need to be resolved. Because if any one of them is not resolved, Judah is going to be destroyed. And Judah's preservation is vital to us and the world because God has chosen that through Judah is going to come the Savior of the world. So if Judah's destroyed, there goes the Savior of the world. So unless something dramatic happens, Judah is going to be destroyed by the sins of Canaan. These are all we're reading about here are the sins of Canaan. It's not just Judah's problem. It's a problem for the salvation of the world. What's his first issue? Judah's first issue is his uncontrolled sexual passions. Because of Judah's uncontrolled sexual passions, he got a Canaanite wife, he's got Canaanite children, he's got a lot of problems. Judah's uncontrolled sexual passions have to be brought under control by Judah in order for him not to be destroyed in the sins of Canaan, which were primarily sexual sins. Judah's second issue here is this close friendship with Hira. Hira is assisting Judah in his sin. This friendship with Hira is threatening Judah. Judah's friendship with Hira here, it's got to be broken in order for Judah not to be destroyed in the sins of Canaan. And his third issue, Judah's third issue is that Judah has separated from his people. Judah is separated from his family. He has separated himself from God's people to go intermingle with the devil's people. The Canaanites, that's threatening Judah. And if Judah does not return to his family, he's in danger of being destroyed by the sins of Canaan. So what we're going to see here 
in this chapter is the goodness of God that's going to lead Judah back to God through repentance. As it says in Romans 2.4, Romans 2.4 says, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. All right, the, the first issue that God's going to address here with Judah, the one that's threatening to destroy Judah with the sins of Canaan, is his friendship with Hira. So we can see here that this is starting now to unravel in verse 20 when it says, but he found her not. You know, I mean, Judah has sent the kid by the hand of his so-called friend Hira. He's given his so-called friend Hira the responsibility, go get the pledge back. I'm not, you know, no, get, make sure you get them all. Now, you got it now, Hira? There's three things that are very valuable. There's the signet, there's the bracelets, and then there's the staff. But Hira doesn't find her. And Hira is very upset. And in verse 21, he goes to the men of the place, and no one knows anything about any harlot. And then he comes back, and this is a real strain on the relationship between Hira and, and Judah. In verse 22, when it says, and he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. And also the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Why did he say that? Because he knew Judah was going to say, what do you mean? I mean, Judah, Judah comes back to, to, Hira comes back to Judah, says, I cannot find her. And Hira goes into the self-defense mode of saying, well, you know, the men also said there was no harlot here. Somebody's lying. Now, we can only imagine how this destroys the friendship between Hira and Judah, with Judah saying, what do you mean you can't find her? You think I'm lying to you? You are responsible for recovering my valuables. Where are they? How do I know you didn't take them? How do I know you didn't make up the story about there's no harlot? Maybe you and your Canaanite friends took my valuables, and you're just saying there's no harlot. So what's happening? God's beginning to destroy the relationship between Hira and Judah, which has to be done in order to prevent the destruction of Judah from becoming lost in the sins of Canaan. Because God's faithful here. I mean, it's good to watch God, you know, when he's over us and we make relationships which shouldn't have, and God makes them go sour. Now, we see how Hira goes to the men of the city in verse 21. Then he asked the men of the place, saying, where is the harlot? that was openly by the wayside. They said there was no harlot in this place. So Hira asked the men if they'd seen a harlot. And it's what's so interesting here is that Hira uses a Hebrew name, for a harlot that's not the same name, not the same Hebrew name, that Judah used for a harlot in verse 21, uh, verse 15. See, Judah used the word, he said the word harlot in verse 15, and that wasn't the same word, Hebrew word, that Hira used in verse 21. Why? What am I talking about? Okay. See, verse 15, it says, when Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot. The Hebrew word here used for harlot in verse 15 is zana, zana, which comes from a root that means commit fornication. So when Judah sees her, what does he see? He only thinks of the act of fornication, and he uses the Hebrew word zana, that means to commit fornication. So if you were to plug this meaning in to verse 15, you go like this. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be someone who commits fornication. You get it from the root meaning of harlot that he used. See, Judah has fornication on his mind, and he doesn't see an harlot for anything else other than someone who commits fornication. But this is different from the word that Hira uses. Hira refers to the harlot in verses 21 and 22. Hira doesn't use this word zana to refer to the harlot. 
But he uses another Hebrew word, Kadesha. Kadesha. Now, if you think that Kadesha is close to Kadosh, you're right. <laughs> okay. What does Kadosh mean? Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Holy. That's right. Kadesha is actually the feminine form of Kadesh, which means a holy person or a sacred person. So what Hira has called the harlot was Kadesha, which means a woman who is a sacred person. Now, the reason you say, what? You know, (laughs) the reason there's a reason. The reason, the reason prostitutes were called in that day Kadeshas or sacred persons is because those women had given themselves over to Astart. Astart, who was the goddess of love. And a prostitute was considered a priestess who had sacrificed her purity to the heathen idol, Astart. So this word's very important. The word hire used for harlot in verse 21 and 22, really you could say holy harlot or holy prostitute, because that's what Kadesha means. So when we apply the meaning of Kadesha to verse 21, it reads like this. Then he asked the men of the place saying, where is the holy harlot that was openly by the side? And they said, there was no holy harlot in this place. So this was an old practice. This went on for a long time. This practice of making prostitutes sacred priestesses. And by the way, they weren't just women. They were also men prostitutes. Or holy harlots is part of idolatry. For example, the historian Herodotus, who wrote us a lot of things, and we know we understand a lot of things about Babylon because of Herodotus. Herodotus wrote that, in his opinion, the ugliest custom in Babylon was the widespread practice of prostitution in the temple of Ishtar. Ishtar. And that every woman in the country was required to engage in an immorality once in their lifetime in the temple of Ishtar to express their devotion to Ishtar. There were a thousand prostitute priestesses in the temple of Corinth. This was the big problem that Paul was writing about. And the same was true with the temple of Diana in Ephesus. So these Kadesha, these prostitute priestesses or the priests or priests, like I said, there are men and women that give themselves over in full devotion to this demonic heathen gods, which meant that they were likely demon possessed, which is why Paul was warning the Corinthians of the spiritual danger in engaging with these holy harlots. When he said in 1 Corinthians 6.15, 1 Corinthians 6.15, he says, know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he that is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. He's talking about these holy harlots that were all over. I told you there were a thousand of them around the temple in Corinth. The holy harlot was possessed or filled by the devil. And the believer was filled by the Spirit of Christ. So that's why he says in 1 Corinthians 6.15, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. You know, fornication has always been the devil's tool to turn souls from the worship of the true God 
to the worship of demons. That's what he did when Israel, when Balaam could not succeed in cursing Israel, the devil says, okay, retire, Balaam. I got another tool in my toolbox. And that's when it says in Numbers 25.1, Numbers 25.1, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Verse 2 says, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. The devil looks for ways to cause people to turn away from God. And the devil's best tool are his demon-possessed servants of fornication who cause others to become one with demons. And Hira's use of this term Kadesha, or holy harlot, it just shows us just how much just how much little poor Judah here. He's in big danger. Because by engaging with a holy harlot, Judah was not just opening himself up to this, to a, to a sinful pleasure for a moment. By engaging with a holy harlot, Judah was opening himself up to demons that the holy harlot has given herself over to as a prostitute priestess or a Kadesha or a holy harlot. So Hira uses this very important term, Kadesha or holy harlot. It makes us shudder for Judah and it makes us realize, boy, the salvation of the world really was in jeopardy by Judah's decision to engage with the holy harlot. Judah's going over the cliff and really needs a strong deliverance from God. So Hira brings this report back to Judah in verse 22. He returned to Judah, said, I cannot find her. And also the man of the place said, there's no harlot in this place. So it's the first, like we said, this is the first of God's deliverance to Judah. It's going to, Judah, going to bring this strain on the close relationship with Hiram. Judah needs to break his tie with the Canaanites and to return to God and his people. An important part of that is to break in this relationship with Hiram. So this report Hiram brings back is really the beginning of the break. Now Judah responds to Hiram's report. And Judah says in verse 23, let her take it to her, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, and thou hast not find her. So in Judah's response, we can see how angry he is. He says, let her take it to her. You know, that's like Judah saying, fine, she can have it. I don't care. But clearly, Judah is mad. He's angry at her. And this is the beginning of Judah's break with the Canaanites. Because Judah is angry that this woman stole his ring, his bracelets, and staff, which were much more valuable than a young goat. So now Judah is beginning to think to himself, who are these Canaanite people that I've gotten myself all mixed up with? I mean, they don't live up to their word. This Canaanite woman gave me a word that if I return with a kid, that she'd give me back my ring, my bracelets, my staff. All she did was trick me, and she stole my possessions. So this bad, sour feeling that set in on Judah against the Canaanites is the beginning of God breaking Judah's union with the Canaanites. This is all part of Judah's deliverance. Now, Judah says something here that's really important, and it shows us how far he is from God. When he says in verse 23, Judah said, let her take the tour, lest we be shamed. Behold, I sent this kid, that's not fighter. So he's really saying, look, we made a deal, me and the harlot, we made a deal. The deal was I'd pay the harlot with a kid and she'd give me my values back when I returned with the kid. I lived up to my end of the deal and returned the kid and you didn't find her. 
That means I'm honorable because I lived up to my end of the deal and she did not. I sent this kid and thou shalt not find her. That means that I'm not shamed because I sent this kid and you didn't find her. Now, if I had not sent the kid, then I would be shamed for not living up to my end of the deal. But I sent the kid, so I'm not shamed. You know what's amazing here? Judah's thinking here? (laughs) When he says, lest we be shamed, he's worried about being shamed. (laughs) He's worried about being shamed. (laughs) By the way, when he said here, Judah, lest we be shamed, how come he didn't say lest I be shamed? Because the we shows that Hira is 100% involved with this whole affair. It's not as though Hira was saying to Judah's friend, well, Judah, old pal, old buddy, I got to tell you that engaging this business with a harlot, it's really not good for you, Judah. As your friend, I want nothing to do with assisting you with your business with a harlot. Not at all. Judah said, lest we be shamed. It shows that Hira there, he is right in there encouraging Judah and helping Judah with his business with the harlot. Anyway, Judah's concerned about being shamed. But who is Judah concerned about being ashamed in front of? People, Canaanites. I mean, Judah is only concerned about being shamed in front of Canaanites. Judah's only concerned about being shamed by losing his reputation before man. Judah's only concerned about being shamed and breaking his promise and not keeping his word to man. Judah's not, he doesn't have any concern at all about being shamed before God. You know, it's like we want to say to Judah, hey, Judah, what about God? You know, Judah is not all concerned about being shamed by losing his reputation with God, by being a faithful follower to God. He's not concerned about being shamed as a promise breaker to God, by not keeping his word to God. He's got no fear of God. He's only got fear of man, which shows how trapped he is. He's in the trap of Proverbs 29.25. The fear of man, Proverbs 29.25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. With no fear of God, Judah is in darkness. He's in darkness. Job 28.28 says, Behold, the fear of the Lord is, that's wisdom. And to depart from evil, that's understanding. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, instead of being afraid, lest we be shamed, in verse 23, he should say, lest we be damned. That's what he should be thinking. Now, we read in verse 24, it came to pass after three months that it was told Judas, saying, Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and behold, she is with child by whoredom. Judas says, bring her forth, let her be burnt. So these words, they teach us a lesson. First of all, and it came to pass after three months after later. Okay. So at the end of verse 23, Judah thinks, I got away with my fling, with the harlot. No more consequences. Those people always think that way. I always think, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But God doesn't think so. And because God is in the business of loving people, in Hebrews 12, 6, Hebrews 12, 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth, because God, that's what the business God's in. So the Lord loved Judah too much to let him just get away and retain his uncontrolled sexual passion. So the three months later, Tamar is seen to be pregnant. The report comes to Judah, and he's got jurisdiction over Tamar. report comes to Judah like a personal challenge. Tamar, thy daughter-in-law, hath played the harlot, and she is with her child of whoredom. So when they said that to him, thy daughter-in-law, they says, that's your responsibility, Judah. Take action. What are you going to do now? 
So Judah hears this, he's enraged, and he orders her to be dragged out and burned alive. A very severe judgment, burning alive, very severe judgment. Normally, for these kinds of sins like fornication, the penalty for fornication is not burning, it's stoning in Deuteronomy 22.20. Deuteronomy 22.20 says, you know, the stoning is for fornication. But in the most extreme sense, in incest, Leviticus 20.14 says uh, burning for incest. In Leviticus 21.9 also. Leviticus 21.9. So without knowing it, Judah has called for the correct penalty because it involves incest. But he doesn't know this. He's just enraged. And he doesn't know it's incest, and he doesn't know he's to blame also because both parties <laughs> are to be blamed. But let's just kind of consider exactly what Judah's heard and what made him so angry. Judah has heard that Tamar has played the harlot. Tamar is guilty of fornication. He's overreacting with this burning command to the sin of fornication. Why is he overreacting? Because he's guilty of the same sin. See, And this shows how quick we are to critical and to condemn and to judge in others the same sins that we're guilty of. See, it's an overreaction. And he's condemning himself. He's doing what it says in Romans 2.1. Romans 2.1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable a man, whosoever thou art the judges. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou doest the same things. In Romans 2.3, Thinkest thou this, O man? that judgest them which do the such things that doest and doest the same, thou shalt escape the judgment of God. See, this was what happened with Nathan and David. When David went to him and said, you know, the, he told him the story. There were two men in the city. The one was a rich. The other was a poor. The rich man had many flocks. In 2 Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12, he had many flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except he had this little one little ewe lamb he brought it up, he nourished it, it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his meat, it drank of his cup, it lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And the traveler comes unto the rich man, and he doesn't want to take one of his many flock. So he says, take the poor man's lamb and kill it. And they did it. And then it says in 2 Samuel 12, 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, that man that have done this thing shall surely die and restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Okay, so a lot of things in this passage. From this passage, we need to learn to use our readiness to be critical of others as a mirror to see our own sins. From this passage, we need to see the spiritual danger of sexual sins. And from this passage, we need to see the love of God who brings deliverance by making things go bad for us to bring us to repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for writing all these things to us, not only for us, but to us. And Lord, we receive it this morning, not as the word of men, but as the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.
tomcantor.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.